Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking about design, but we're talking about designing with kids, designing with your children, not only designing with game, you know, designing games uh, for kids, but actually with kids. And we're talking to David and Jordana Santiago from Locomotion Games. David and Jordana, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks for having us, Gabe. We're excited. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so you're a little co-design team, you know, working together as father and daughter, which I'm a huge fan of. My daughter and I, we we work on games uh, from time to time, but it's, it's more just, you know, kind of a for fun, kind of play kind of thing where y'all have actually designed a game that's, you know, going to Kickstarter and it's, it's going to be a real life thing, which is really cool. So I want to talk to y'all about kind of your process and how it all came together and the, just the different ins and outs of working, you know, David, with your, your child, working with your daughter and Jordana working with your dad and what that's like, you know, yeah. that's cool co-design thing but before we get into the topic kind of who are you how'd you get into game design that kind of thing um i'm jordana santiago and i'm a game designer along with my dad um i'm 10 years old and i'm in fifth grade aside from making games i like arts crafts and hanging out with my friends and family yep and and i'm um david santiago i'm jordana's dad and uh, i'm one of the co-designers of our game uh, which is called jujo um and I've always loved playing games growing up, um, kind of like Jordana. Um, I played uh, I played games, uh, classics that are a little bit maybe uh, less popular nowadays, but, you know, chess, Risk, Monopoly, and so on. But, you know, as I got older, I was exposed to different types of games like Catan. And um, I'll probably say that my real interest in designing games stemmed from my uh, interest in product development. My day job involves managing teams of software developers. And I've been in the field of software and product development for about 15 years. Yeah, very cool. And so, Jordana, you know, most most kids love to play games. But what made you want to actually design games? Um, well, my dad started, when he started making the game Jujo, um, he had a bunch of different characters and a bunch of different things. So um, he asked me if I wanted to... Um, help him with it and I like thought it would be a lot of fun to do like a father-daughter game together yeah very cool this is something I've learned in in my own parenting is more gets caught than taught and the more more things I just do and and, and my kids observe they're going to catch those things a lot more than the things I sit down and say all right now here's how we do like they they catch a lot more than than I teach them and so it's cool that, that I guess, David, you were just working on a game. You know, I guess you're, you know, designing some games and then she saw it and was like, hey, I want to do that, too. Is that kind of how it worked out? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much how it worked out. And um, one of the things uh, that, you know, I, I have to admit, we, in our family, especially uh, with Jordan's grandparents, they're big fans of board games and um, believe it or not. And, and they actually started getting all of us really into games. And um, but there was one game that they played quite a lot and um as we were playing uh, Rummy Cube, so um, I, I guess Jordana can tell that story. But we were kind of getting a little bit a uh, little bit tired of it. But so yeah, um, my grandparents love to play board games, especially Rummy Cube. I mean, they like to play Rummy Cube a lot. So my dad sort of got sick of playing the game and decided we should make a new game. 
called Chisho. <laughs> gotcha. So it was more out of necessity, just so you didn't have to play the same game over and over again. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and plus, we like creating games, so that, that was that was another aspect to it. Yeah, absolutely. One thing, I was watching this TED Talk a while back, and this guy was talking about education. And one thing he, he mentioned was how children are, you know, most of them, when you, if you actually test them, they are on genius level of creativity. But then by the time they graduate, you know, go off to college, get out in the real world, they are nowhere near where they used to be as kids on that genius level of creativity. And so he was talking about how something happens to kids over the course of education that it just kind of gets taken away, that the whole idea of creating things and, and making things and art and design just goes away from most people. And so it's really cool that you're implementing this and like enter your home and saying, no, no, we're going to, we're going to make sure we're having time for creativity and, and doing fun stuff and making games. That's, that's a really awesome thing. Uh, not just for the gaming world, but also I think just for uh, Jordana, for your future to, to be a vibrant, you know, wonderful person in society who's creative, uh, it, it starts at home. So I think this is a really cool opportunity uh, for your family, but also for other families just to kind of take note of as, as an opportunity to, to not only build relationships, I want to talk about that in a minute, but yeah. to uh, instill creativity in children for the, for the future, which is really awesome. Now, how did you kind of break down who's going to do what? Like, tell me about the different roles in your co-designing uh, partnership here. Um, well, my dad, he worked a lot on strategy. And when I first try, I do a lot of testing during the game. And I found a couple of different things that we could make more fun. So he made me um, chief designer of fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, I made the overall art was fun and the experience. And I did a lot of play testing. I also helped with the marketing and I did the voiceover for our Kickstarter video. Yep. And, and my role was more, um, like Jordana said, I was more focused on kind of, you know, figuring out the business aspects, um, working on the game mechanics, uh, working on the game theme. But, you know, at the end of the day, the game was fun and um, it, it was relatable because of um, Jordana's involvement and and her kind of sanity checks and, and her, her real um, involvement in, in the actual design process. Um, so she really challenged me throughout the game to make it more fun, to better connect with our prospective audience. I would say she's kind of like the master of empathizing with the eventual players of the game to ensure that it was engaging. Yeah, this gives you a, a huge advantage over a lot of people. I've seen people post online and they say, hey, I'm working on a family game. Hey, I'm working on a game for kids. I don't know any kids. Uh, can someone help me? Can someone like give me you know, some ideas? Of, am I on the right track? Were you, were you David, you had, you had a person there in your house. You could say, hey, is this fun? And she could say yes or no. And, and you have like your, your target audience right there. And so tell me about that, uh, Jordana. As, as you first started playing the game, was it fun right off the bat? Or did it take your dad a little bit of time to kind of get it fun for a kid? Um, well, when we first started it, it was more of, it was, it was fun, but there was mostly l strategy and a little bit of luck, but it wasn't really, it was a lot of strategy, not really as much, um, uh, fun when we first started off the game, <laughs> but it's a lot more fun. It's actually very fun now. Yeah, we added more chance and a little bit of randomness to make it to make it more exciting. And um, and even the characters, we worked a lot on them to make to make sure that it kind of connected from from an emotional level. Yeah, let's let's kind of talk about that for a second. What's it look like to make a game for kids? Uh, I want to talk about with kids in a second. You know, kind of y'all's relationship, but right now, like, what are some of the things you were thinking about? What are some of the things that Jordana maybe enlightened you about that you hadn't thought about before as far as designing right. a game for children? 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that, that's a good, um, it's a good question. So in terms of designing games for kids, um, I think, you know, one thing that's kind of important to keep in mind is kids grow so rapidly and, um, there's different childhood segments. Uh, not all, um, not all kids are alike, obviously, but they go through rapid changes, uh, during their young lives. There's a good book by Carla Fisher called designing games for children. And she breaks down childhood segments by, uh, babies and toddlers ages zero to two preschoolers ages three to five early elementary ages six to eight tweens ages 10 to 12 and teenagers ages 13 and up and teenagers and, and from her book are can essentially be thought as as adults they understand um you know for all intents and purposes uh, more complex games they have uh, finer more refined motor skills so in our case our, our game was actually a family game because we wanted to play something um that uh, with a family so it was multi-generational uh, it was tailored for kids but it was also for adults so jordana and i were really like a, like a a partnership where she helped bridge that divide between kids and adults she's the resident expert at being a kid i'm generally speaking more of an expert at being an adult uh so you know we we wanted to bridge that divide for our family game um now for example in, with kids you know like if you take the example of preschoolers even though our, our, our game was designed to be appealing to kids, it wasn't necessarily appealing to all kids, um, obviously not infants or preschoolers. And like preschoolers in particular, they, they have more of like an egocentric view of the world. Uh, they, uh, they think, you know, oftentimes if, if they like yogurt, that everyone likes yogurt. So person versus person games like Jujo or like Checkers, for example, it, it's a little bit harder for them to grasp since each player has a different goal. Um, so, it, it, but when kids get into elementary school to become better at understanding different perspectives, as well as appreciating different goals that can exist in the game. And they also develop longer attention spans and can understand more complex game concepts. So our game, I, I would say definitely targeted kids, but it was more at the elementary school age and up. And, and then obviously for adults and families. Yeah, gotcha. Now, this is a question for both of you. Uh, why why do you think games are important for kids to play? Jordana, why don't you go first? Why do you think games are important for you and your friends to play? Um, well, I personally think that um, a lot of kids are on electronics and um, like on their phones and watching TV a lot. And when you're when you're playing a game, you can have your family and friends sitting around the table. And you all sort of join together and talk, and it's just really nice having time with your family and friends. Yeah, absolutely. Jordan, how old are you? Um, I'm 10. Are you sure you're not like 25? <laughs> <laughs> that is a very grown-up, very mature uh, way to answer that question. And I, I am very impressed uh, with, with you so far, young lady. I am excited for the future with you. Uh, you, are, you are right on. And, and I think this is one thing that, that gaming has done recently in the last decade or so is brought so many people back together, so many families off of the computer, off the laptop, off the iPad, pad, the phone, all that, and to sit around a table and just build relationships again. Uh, and so, David, what's, what's been your experience? Why do, you, why do you think games have been important for your kids and just kids in general? Yeah, I think, you know, games, I mean, first of all, especially physical games, like Jordana said, they, they just bring you together. You know, like when you're on your phone, it, it's kind of like a, a solo activity oftentimes. And um, but but with games, um, playing games, I think it's it's a great way to um, develop good interpersonal skills, to, to build relationships and bonds with people, um, to um, 
to really kind of learn life lessons. Oh, you know, I, I, sometimes I think of, you know, we have we a couple of dogs and, you know, little puppies, you know, you, they play, you know, that's, that's how they learn how to be adult dogs. And, and kind of like for people too, like kids learn how to be adults by, by playing. That's a really important part of their development. So I think playing games is definitely a really awesome way to um, build, you know, social bonds and, and to connect with your family and friends and, and also to learn some, you know, some life skills. Yeah, absolutely. I was reading a book recently and it talked about the value and the importance uh, for specifically young men, but I think kids in general, uh, to roughhouse and to play games and for their dads to be there and, and wrestle with them and things like that because it, it teaches them boundaries and it teaches them a delayed gratification and it teaches them all these life skills that, that you know, you're not just going to magically wake up one day and have. And I, I think board games are a great way to also instill, like you're saying, some of these life skills, whether it's knowing how to win, you know, and be a good winner or how to lose and be a good loser and not be angry and not, you know, say negative things about your, your mom because she just beat you in, in Rummy Cube or whatever it is. Uh, right. It teaches you how to communicate. It teaches, oh gosh, it teaches so many amazing things. And it's all at the same time. And it's all around a table with the, with the context of fun versus the context of lecture or the context of, you know, something that's not nearly as enjoyable as, as playing a game. And so I think, you know, bringing games into the home and, and even, even game, game design as well, it's just an incredible way to teach these valuable uh, lessons that, that people need to know, you know, and, and you can kind of, when you meet people that have never played games before, a lot of times you can kind of tell there's some differences about them, maybe some things that haven't developed quite as much as they needed to, just because they didn't have those interactions when they were, when they were younger. And so it's so much value in that. Now, Jordan, what have you learned as a game designer? How do you think, you know, designing games has helped you grow and, and learn different things about life? Um, well, when I first started the game, uh, there's, there's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of, when you learn how to game design, it's like you're learning how to design a bunch of different, like, like the process of designing is just, I think it helps you. It's, like learn different scenarios. Yeah, and... learn different scenarios and different, it's just, I think it's very educational when you um, learn how to game design. It'll help you for when you're when you get older and you have to design other products. Yeah, absolutely. How has it helped you as far as like problem solving? Have you, have you found yourself becoming a better problem solver because you're having to solve problems in your game design? Yeah. Yes, I think so. It's um, if you, uh, I caught a bunch, a couple of mistakes and it's actually helped me a lot on my work at school. Um, it's helping me catch my mistakes before I turn things in. Yeah, very cool. Now, David, how have you seen Jordana grow? Kind of as a, you know, from the dad's eye view, what have you seen maybe grow or change about her? Yeah, I think, you know, getting Jordana involved, you know, this was, you know, a creative process, but um, in terms of designing games um, with her and designing this game with her, um, it, it was really an opportunity for her to kind of apply design thinking um, to, um, to, have a more structured process for um, doing something that she kind of already does innately, you know, like all kids play. Um, but this, we, we applied a process where, um, you know, she had to think through um, certain decisions we made in the game. Um, so for example, um, we applied some of the patterns of design thinking that I'm familiar with from my work. So we came up with an initial concept. We did brainstorming and ideation and Jordana definitely um, was really instrumental there, and she she came up with some really great ideas. And and this I think 
aspect of creativity I've seen in other aspects of her of her life and at school. Um, and after we did some brainstorming ideation, we experimented and we did a lot of play testing, obviously. And then we got a lot of feedback and the feedback from the testing went into the design process where we refined the game, repeated the process. And until we felt comfortable that the game was ready, you know, for production or ready for prime time. And throughout this process, you know, I was involved with, the, you know, like I said, the mechanics and, but Jordana challenged me to make the game better and more fun and connect to an audience. And, you know, so I think like she's really learned a lot about just the creative process of coming up with a concept and seeing it through to fruition. Uh, and also, you know, you can't build a product like this on your own. Like it takes a team of people to do it. So even though Jordana and I were the main designers and we were involved in all aspects of the business, uh, we also had like an, a fantastic illustrator from Australia, Josh Hoff. Um, and he was instrumental in the game design. And we also worked with, you know, a bunch of other people around the world to make this game possible. And teamwork is really kind of fundamental to building any sort of product um, or any or any type of game. And, and that's, you know, to me, um, a really great learning experience for, for children and for Jordana specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And now, so Jordana, you know, designing a game is not all fun. There's also some kind of not so fun parts. What, what has been or what have been the most challenging parts of making your own game? Um, I don't really know. I think maybe not for me, but, um, like the financial is, I mean, of course I don't pay the bills, but, um, it's, there's, you have to figure out like how to, um, like ship it and what you have to do to pay for the game to be actually made. Um, so I think those are one of the harder things, even though I did not exactly do them myself. Um, that was something harder. Yeah, definitely. Now, David, what, uh, what, what are some of the design challenges you've run into? I'll definitely say, well, one of the things I would say is, uh, you know, there's kind of different debates about making, uh, you know, is it hard to make a game simple or is it hard to make a game more complex? Um, and there's probably kind of truth to both sides, but I'll say for us, we, we were really trying to make the game as accessible as possible. Um, so like things like we want to make the game set up really simple. It doesn't take a long time to set up the game and put it on the table. Um, but we wanted, um, you know, we wanted the rules to be simple, but we also wanted there to be depth so you can replay it. We wanted the game to be, um, you know, accessible to, to younger kids, but also adults. It's kind of like you read some, you know, good literature and, you know, some of the greatest novelists have an ability to appeal especially if they're writing like children's genres um, in this case, they have an ability to appeal to, you know, adults, but also children. Um, but, you know, like I said, we want to get, we want to get the game um, on the table and, and to make it as easy as possible to get there. Um, and we want to make sure that, you know, children, especially that might have uh, shorter attention spans that, uh, that the game would work for them, but, you know, still be fun for, you know, both kids and adults. So th those are kind of the main design challenges that we encounter throughout the process. Gotcha. Now, Jordana, have you brought your friends in to kind of play test the game and, and help you out with it? Um, yes, I actually have. We have game days at school and most of the game days I will bring in Jujo and I'll have my friends and me play it together. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun when all of my friends are like playing as different characters during the day. And at recess, we'll like They'll bring in their games, and we we could also we also take things off their games to see if we can make anything about Jujo more fun.
Yeah, very cool. Now, what have you learned in watching your friends play the game? Like, has the game changed at all? Or did you see anything maybe not working or not quite as fun as it could be based on how your friends are playing? Well, yes. Um, for, like, one thing, maybe. Um, some of my friends, like, they would give advice that maybe we should, if we wanted to change the game a tiny bit, we could do, like, um, when we first made the game, there were just circles. And, of course, we were going to improvise on that. But um, they told us that we could we could use different artwork stuff. Yeah, so like she's talking about when we were making the game and we had the map grid and um, we had kind of a different design at one point, but some of her friends and, and some other folks that were testing it said, you know, it might be better instead of making this kind of circular grid to make like a square grid. And, there's, and there are a bunch of reasons behind that. But, um, but that was, you know, observations both from, friends her age actually because they thought it'd be more intuitive and then some some other folks yeah very cool anything else that stands out in your mind as far as like ways your friends helped um i can't think of anything now but um well one thing i noticed actually just to help her out is um our our youngest daughter so there's a mechanism in the game that we kind of introduced it was like a subtle mechanism that was bluffing and um so we were testing it on on jordana's youngest sister and she loved it. And it was like this just a neat reaction. It's kind of this mechanism is where um, you place a tile and um, you can, it, it's a surprise, you know. So it, it, when the tile's placed near um, uh, one, an opposing uh, player, it, it causes it to blow up. And every time that we would, she would do that, she would laugh. And I was like, okay, we're on to something. That's right. So th- that was definitely one thing we noticed dur- during the process of playtesting. Yeah, yeah. Juju would she would ask to play the game almost every night because she loved... Um, she loved that mechanism. Yeah. She also loved um, the one character, the dog, or mm-hmm. what do you call it? Yeah, the dog. Yeah, the dog. Um, she would always be that character, and I'd usually be the um, the buff eater? The um, British soldier. The British soldier. Yeah. Cool. And so what would be your advice to somebody who, who's making a family game, making a game for kids, as far as how to draw kids in and make it appealing, right? You're saying, have, you know, having a dog character, having these mechanisms that kind of blow up and are, you know, create laughs. That, those are some ideas. What else would you say, David, are, are ways to uh, design games so that kids are just drawn to them? Sure. So, I mean, definitely the artwork is, is huge. Um, good artwork with characters that are accessible and relatable. I think that's really important. So, um, actually, in our game, we, we tried to create characters that would relate to a lot of different types of demographics. So, um, you know, from different parts of the world, as well as we have characters that are uh, anthropomorphic animal type characters, which, you know, appeal to kids. So that, that was definitely one major component. Um, and also, you know, the characters are, in order to appeal to a younger age, they're generally they're smiling or they're cute, you know. So th- those that that artwork is, is definitely a key, a key piece. Uh, another thing is, like I said, the the game needs to be simple to understand, and but with enough depth to be replayable, so that kids would want to come back or adults would even want to come back. So that's another key characteristic. The setup of the game, I think, is important. If you have to spend you know fifteen minutes setting up a game, um, that could be you know a barrier because you know kids don't have long attention spans, and um, so that's another consideration. And then I think, you know, the rules need to be simple, like I said. So uh, in general, those are kind of the main things that come to mind. Yeah, I want to second that um, being aware of setup time, not just for the kids, but also for the parent. I've got this really fun Powerpuff Girl game I got on eBay 
a while back. And it's a lot of fun. It's this like little dexterity game and, and I get to be Mojo Jojo and my daughters get to be the powerful girls. And it's this fun thing. But the setup takes forever. And so a lot of times, you know, they'll say, hey, let's play this game. And I'm thinking, I don't feel like setting that up because it's going to take a while. And it's kind of frustrating the way the pieces have to fit together and things like that. And it's like, no, let's play this other game instead. And so it's just something to be aware of. You know, if mom or dad or whoever the adult is is having to set it up, they, you know, maybe if they're, especially if they're not gamers, right? If they're not really into the hobby, it's something to think about as, as well. And so going back to, your, your kind of roles in this project, how did you structure things as far as like when you're going to design? Like, did you have a schedule like on, on Saturday nights from seven to eight, we're going to design or like, how did you kind of set up design time and making sure you're, you're getting the most out of it? Right. I think in our case, you know, it, it was a really organic process because, you know, Jordana's a kid and, you know, she actually started this with me two years ago. So she was actually eight years old, believe it or not at the time. And and I think like a lot of things, it, you can't force kids to want to do things. You can't even force adults to do things, generally speaking. Um, and and um, so we, we just kind of worked on the game organically when we had time. One of the things I was considering was ensuring that, you know, we didn't force ourselves into an arbitrary deadline to get this game published because this is just a project for us. It was and um, and we wanted to bring it. We, one of the beauties of creative projects is being able to share it. At the end of the day, you want to share your creative project with other people, but at the same time, you don't want to, you don't want the process to be arduous, especially when you're working with kids. So uh, we would work on this together um, in kind of an organic manner on the weekends at night. Uh, And then we put it down and sometimes, you know, we put the game down for several weeks or or even a month or more and then get back to it. So uh, that that was our general design philosophy. Yeah. And now what's kind of, flip the switch for you to say, all right, let's go to Kickstarter. Let's, let's make a business. Let's actually make this a published thing versus just doing it as a, as a fun family activity. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, we, we really wanted to make something that was real, you know, and I think that was part of the the process of um, especially getting Jordana involved in this process. Um, I, I think it's, it's a little bit different when you are just doing something that you're, you know, kicking around the house and, you know, you, you go print a couple games maybe and, and as a prototype, but as part of the learning experience, I thought it would be invaluable to involve Jordan in actually building a real product because with technology now and um, decreased manufacturing cost and globalization, you know, it's much more accessible now to build real products. And if the product, if you get like a minimally viable product or, you know, maybe something even a little bit more um, complete, I don't think, think there's any reason why you can't put it out there and, and let people try it and get their um, get their perspectives, and um, so we we wanted to do something that was real, you know, and, and that was part of the value of this project was, you know, let's, let's try to make something real that people would um, find appealing and that people would want to use, and let's learn during this process, um, you know, let's let's use this as an exercise to learn about not just building a game but running a business, uh, understanding the marketing elements, the, the whole nine yards. Yeah, very cool. Now, Jordana, what have you learned about business through this process? Um, well, about business, uh, I think when you're making something, to have it more diverse um, instead of just being like all the characters are like are the exactly the same, or if you can't, it's a lot more fun. And it's a lot easier to um, sell and a lot easier to play when and more enjoyable when you have more different um, different 
characters and different and diversity. Yeah, a lot of diversity in the business makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Now, has your dad like talked to you or shown you anything as far as the like, you're talking about shipping and the financial stuff? Has has he been kind of teaching you those concepts as well? Um. Yes. Yes, he has. He's taught me a lot. Very cool. What are some of the interesting things that you've learned? Um. Well, he told me about um a lot of the people that he's a lot of the people that he's getting from, which is actually a lot of fun to learn, is that there are people from South Africa, and people from India. And people from here in the United States, there's, um, it's a lot of fun to have all these different people. And that's one of the things that I think I've learned. Um, I've learned like about the population of people and I've actually learned a lot of geography from this game. And and what Jordana's talking about is as we um, are preparing for the Kickstarter starter launch, um, we've done, you know, um, so we've reached out to different people, done some little bit of advertising, and um, it's interesting. And what and this is what Jordan is alluding to, just to see the diversity of people that are interested in the game, and from all over the world. And I don't think that's definitely not unique to us, but it it is enlightening. You know, just you know, we live in such a global society, and people from all around the world are um, interested in the game, and and that that was really fun to see. Yeah, very cool. Now this is something I wish I had kind of experience growing up. I didn't learn anything about business until I was 24, 25 years old. When I finally had a boss um, who became a mentor, just kind of brought me under his wing and say, here's how business works. Here's how the stock market works. Here's how investing, all these different business concepts. And I really wish that when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, that, that I had had somebody, my parents didn't know anything about it. They, you know, they had never run a business, nothing like that. And so it, not their fault. They just didn't have the information either. But I, you know, Jordana, for you to have this kind of step ahead of everybody else to be doing this at eight, nine, 10 years old. I'm really excited kind of for what's uh, what the future holds as far as your understanding of business. Cause you've got a, you've got a 15 year head start on where I was. And so that's, it's going to be really cool as you learn and grow. And so I want to encourage you just to keep learning, keep growing and figuring this stuff out. Uh, Cause it, like you're saying, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of really cool stuff. And the more you learn about it, you know, different things all over the world, the world opens up to you. And so, you know, this is something I think a lot of parents can can just think about with their own kids is like introducing not to say business, but just bigger picture things, bigger picture terms, bigger picture ideas and concepts for their kids to understand because it's going to kind of progress them faster than than if you don't. And so it's just something interesting to think about. David, were you thinking about that when you were when you were first starting this project, or is it just kind of grown organically? Um, I, I mean, I think it's grown organically, but you know, I will say, you know, I, I definitely thought a lot about the. Um, the opportunity for Jordana to really uh, develop individually. There, there's a great quote by Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And he says, for children, play is serious learning. Children use play as a way to cope with life and prepare for adulthood. So, you know, if you think about, um, you know, kids and how they spend their day, they spend a lot of time playing games. They play hide and seek, tag, but they also make games. They, they make games that they'll play. They do this constantly. And, you know, for example, for Jordana and her little, her little sister, they constantly have been, you know, role-playing, making up different impromptu games, their own set of rules and unspoken rules. And if you think about like the innate desire and inclination of children to make up games, I think it's fair to say that game design and a structured kind of method to design games that incorporates design thinking could be easily taught to kids at all ages. And it's a great experience. And one kind of really good example is if you think of music, like the Suzuki method, the Suzuki method is a philosophy and it's an environment for learning that parallels the linguistic environment about acquiring a native language. 
And Shinichi Suzuki noticed that children pick up languages really easily when at a young age. And in a similar way, children pick up game design at an early age. It's it's innate to them. It's one of the most innate things that they do. And we all witness it firsthand around us. The only difference is that this innate ability to create and play games, it hasn't really been formalized, you know, into a structured method that could be taught, you know, in the classroom at an early age. But I think it's an area that's rife for opportunity and, and it's incredibly enriching. Yeah, definitely. Now, what would be your advice as far as creating that structure, if not in a classroom, it, it, at least in my own home? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think the first thing is just to just to do it, just to get involved with um, game design. Um, but it, there, there's a lot of different. I think there's a couple kind of main principles of design thinking that that applies to game design as well as to designing really kind of anything, um, and that includes um, getting fast feedback, ideation, brainstorming, um, iterating. Uh, and empathizing with the users of your, of your product. So, you know, if you apply those like basic principles, uh, those are really, you can really overlay those into the process of game design and, and really anyone can do it in their home. Yeah, for sure. Now, Jordana, what would be your advice to other people's families, other people's dads and moms, as far as designing with their, with their children? What would you say are, are some things that they need to think about? They need to know if they're going to do this. Um, well, I think if you're going to create a same with, your child or your child's friend. I think if you really include them with helping, like if you help them test out the game and um, if they, we actually, when you design a game by yourself and you test it out by yourself, sometimes you usually don't realize your own mistakes, but when somebody else tests it out, um, it's a lot easier to uh, figure out like, where some things should change and some things you should keep. Yeah, absolutely. And I've also found in just kind of doing this a little bit with, with my own daughter is to create a culture of encouragement, right? That, that there are no bad ideas. There are no stupid ideas that everything, yeah, it's, that's cool. Hey, what if we do it this way? What if we changed it to this over here? What if we made this color, that color? What if we, instead of doing dice, we did car, but everything is encouraging and, and progression progressing as opposed to going, no, that's dumb. That's never going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, kids, they, they, you can easily crush a kid, and then they want to do it. They won't. They won't want to do it at all if you if you don't you know encourage them in some way. And so the other day, my daughter created this this little goofy racing game, and it was it was not a great game, but it's like yeah, this is this is cool. Hey, let's let's try something over here. Let's try something over there. This is fun right here. This is the best part. Let's kind of do this. But it was all about an, an encouraging kind of atmosphere, just to kind of push her towards you know figuring it out, doing it better, and wanting to do it again. I feel like there's a lot of times kids would would do more, but they don't get encouraged. And so then they just go, oh, I guess I'll, I'll do something else. And so, David, how have you encouraged Jordana through this process just to make sure that, that she you know knows that she's valued and, and uh, working and doing a good job and that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think my philosophy was exactly like yours, Gabe. You know, just getting her invi- involved, not just as a tester, but like, all aspects of, of building the game. So um, from coming up with ideas, um, really and putting an idea on the table, from reviewing artwork um, to d- making the whole process fun, you know, like that's one of the things I think is kind of, again, like fundamental to being a kid. And maybe sometimes we lose that as an adult is, you know, game like kids play games and, and games are fun. And, and the process of making a game should be fun, just like it is for kids when they make up their own game. So, you know, it, at any point, in the process, if it became not fun, um, you know, we would take a pause and, and, and kind of, you know, wait until we were in a better state of mind. But that was really the main thing. And, and 
um, you know, just making sure that um, the process was enjoyable and that Giordano just really wanted to be a part of it. Um, actually, yeah. Um, have you ever heard of the game Sleeping Queens? I have not. That sounds cool. Well, Sleeping Queens, um, my mom told me that it was created by um, a young girl or boy that um, she actually made the whole, she made the game and um, her dad and mom encouraged her and helped her and got some people to um, design and make the car- the artists, the art in the game. Um uh, very a lot um, more, more appealing and more appealing and she actually we actually have the game in our house and it's a lot of fun yeah so does knowing that other kids are designing games give you kind of some enthusiasm or, or encouragement to design your own yeah yes very much yeah going back to what you're saying about diversity you know the more we kind of highlight other other people different kinds of people doing things I think the more different kinds of people we're going to bring in and so this is another interesting kind of idea as far as this topic goes is the more kids design games and kind of get it out there and especially if they're really good and they look good and they're fun to play and all that uh, the more kids are going to want to play and the more parents will maybe see the value in it so i think it's one of those momentum kind of things the more it the more you do it the more momentum it picks up and the more more it gets done down the road dave would you would you kind of say that's the case or like have you even thought about that oh definitely i mean I, and i've thought about that a lot and, and when you think about you know making games you're um you're basically creating a product. A board game, in our case, is a product. And one of the cool things about, you know, just from an educational standpoint, it, it building a game incorporates like all the critical thinking skills that you learn in school, but it just kind of done in a more fun way. So you learn about math, you learn about reading and writing and science and maybe even physics. You know, the major aspects of bringing a product to life, bringing a game to life uh, that's ready for production, ready to be shipped out to customers, involves skills like working in the team environment, writing rules um, during the design process, doing some math to design and refine game probabilities, uh, doing math and understanding some basic physics around shipping. So I think it's it's a phenomenal way to, to educate kids and, and um, it, it can certainly be repeated and, and something that I think um, it can, can be extremely enriching. Yeah, I would say critical thinking is probably, in my opinion, the number one thing that kids need to learn in school or at home and that kind of thing uh, is is if you can if you can think critically and you can problem solve you can do anything else you know and that's one thing I, I teach my high schoolers my tenth and twelfth graders is like look guys if, if you can just figure out how to think deeply how to think critically about problems and how to understand the bigger issues and how to understand what what's the difference between a side effect and a root cause and different things like that then you can go out and have any job you want and potentially make a lot of money and you know change the world in some really cool ways you can make an impact because you know how to think and playing games helps you think. You know, whether you're playing little role-playing games, you're having to come up with ideas about how to overcome an obstacle or board games or you're designing games, it it creates problem-solving and critical thinking. So I think that's just a a phenomenal way to improve the world. Not not just your home, not just your kids, but just the world overall. I I totally agree, Game. Yeah, and so, go ahead. I was just going to elaborate on that point, actually, that, you know, if if there were one broader message that, you know, I was going to, that we were going to convey, it would be along the lines of, you know, game design, um, especially for, for younger kids, you know, I think it, it just like you said, it, it establishes such a great foundation for critical thinking and for design thinking. And because uh, making a game is really about making a product and products are all around us. Like, you know, you go to the hospital or the grocery store, go to the car dealership or in your house, you see products everywhere. And if kids can make great products, then later in life, they can potentially become, you know, professional creators or inventors or designers. 
And by getting kids involved with game design at an early age, we're helping to empower a future generation to solve some of our greatest problems. You know, maybe these kids could take the knowledge that they acquire and from developing these simple games and later in life apply those principles to designing a product that helps cure cancer or solve problems with our food supply. And, you know, I know it sounds like a leap because we're talking about board games, but I really do believe there's like a kind of a fundamental principle here that, uh, and that's the potential for kids to be shaped by these principles of product development at an early age. And for these same people as they grow into adults to use those principles to solve some other real challenges. Absolutely. I don't, I don't even, I don't think it's that big of a leap though. I mean, if I'm looking back at my own childhood and teenage years and even into college, you know, football has made me a better father. Football made me a better uh, husband. Football made me a better friend. You know, the game of football with all the self-discipline and overcoming obstacles and, and fighting through pain and doing things that you didn't want to do and kind of forcing your body to, to kind of show up even when it was hurt and, you know, you're tired and all that. Like it created so many just deep down character things in me that I'm going to have the rest of my life. And so I think board games are in the, the same way. They, they create, you know, all these different things we've been talking about in children from an early age that they're going to use as foundation to then do, do bigger things. And so I, I think this is a great way. Now, continue to kind of talk about these different games that we're learning from. Jordana, what are, what are some of your favorite games and maybe some, like some of the games that you've drawn inspiration from to kind of help in your own game design process? Um, well, I really like Tumble Tree. Um, Tumble Tree is when you throw a card onto this type of tree and you keep thinking that it's going to fall over, but it just doesn't. And then when it actually does, you have to take all the cards. And when you run out of the cards, the person who has the least amount of cards wins the game. Um, I also love sequence state and cap states and capitals. Um, I'm in like in in this period of school. I had to learn all the different states and capitals. And st sequence states and capitals is actually really helpful, and it's a lot of fun. So I really like that. Um, I also love Labyrinth. Um, I just find that one a lot of fun because you have to go through these different obstacles to get to your character. Yeah, very cool. Uh, David, let's kind of switch gears just a little bit and talk about mechanisms for a second. We've talked a lot about you know working with kids, a little bit for kids, that kind of thing. When you're creating mechanisms for a children's game, what are the things you're thinking about? Because like we said, you don't want it to be too complex, but you want it to be complex enough. And so like mechanism-wise, what are, what are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of a, a variety of mechanisms that you could, you could use, obviously, for developing games. One thing to consider is um, certain games may be more difficult for certain kids. So if, like dexterity games for younger kids may be a bit challenging. Um, it, it kind of depends, but it could be challenging if they don't have as refined motor skills. Um, the, the bluffing mechanism in the, that I talked about earlier, uh, I think was a really effective way to make the game engaging in our case, um, because, you know, it's, it was unpredictable and it was, it, it adds an element of kind of fun and, and um, comedy to a certain degree. Um, so I, I think that's, that's kind of important. Um, even, I think kids can even understand strategy games, um, you know, even person against person games. Um, so that was that was something that we looked into, and, and that obviously can appeal to older generations as well, older demographics. I think cooperative games. Our game doesn't happen to be one, but I think cooperative games are great for kids, and something that I think we definitely explore in the future. Yeah, one thing I've, I've learned in my own designing for for kids, you know, I've designed several games for for my own children and just to kind of have fun and, and whatnot, uh, is to borrow 
mechanisms is they already know. They already understand. You know, one I had an idea a while back in the, a game that will hopefully get published sometime down the road. I'm uh, hoping so. But it, my idea was, okay, what if Candyland was actually fun? Like, what if, what if instead of just rolling a die and then moving and that's all you did? Like, what if there was more to it? And like, what if, you know, you're in this candy world and that kind of thing? But my kids understand roll and move. Okay, so like, okay, how can I take roll and move and make it a little more interesting? Right. How can I take, you know, maybe a concept from Rummy Cube or some some of these other, you know, Uno or different card games, Go Fish, Memory, whatever, and turn them into a little bit deeper version of themselves because the kids already understand how to play it. They played Uno. And so if I say, oh, it's like Uno, but but then you add this to it or it's like Candyland, but then you do this other thing, too, then it kind of helps them bridge that gap as opposed to learning brand new mechanisms. Is that something you've seen as well or or you tried in your own designing? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, there there are definitely games that. that we, we played and, and that we applied to um, to our game design process. Jordana and I, at one point, we were trying to play the game Go. And admittedly, we didn't really understand the game that well, but um, that definitely was kind of an influence in our in our game design. Um, and then there were some other games, you know, just fun games like, you know, Exploding Kittens or um, they have some silly mechanisms or um, e- even some of the thematic elements I found some at, from some other games were really appealing to kids and um, there's a there's a game called Rattle Battle Grab a Loot, and just I really the artwork was really appealing, and it was something that was really accessible, and I thought would draw, um, you know, would, would be attractive for kids, and we, we looked at that as an inspiration. We didn't necessarily model the game after it, but it, it was just something that was an inspiration to make the game more accessible and appealing. Yeah, very cool. Now, Jordano, how would you say this game designing and kind of working through this process and business and all that stuff? How would you say it's helped your and your dad's relationship? Um, I think it helped a lot because me and my dad get to spend father-daughter time together um, making the game, and they will talk to each other about Jujo and about other things, and I think it's um, it's a lot of fun creating this game together because we get to spend more time with each other. That's awesome. Now, David, how would, how would you say it's helped your relationship? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could say it any better than Jordana. It definitely was a great way to um, for us to spend time together doing something that was fun. It was, it was educational for both of us. Um, it, it actually was fun for the for the whole family. I, will, I have to admit. I mean, we kind of we did get others in the family involved, but um, but it, it was really cool to see kind of Jordana um, kind of grow through this process and learn more about you know, design thinking and, and applying all our critical thinking skills that. Uh, she already has picked up from school and, and apply it to this. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, as we kind of close things out, how would you advise for people to implement this more, whether it's in education, whether it's in the classroom? Like, what, What's your kind of bigger picture advice on how, how we can make this happen in more places than, than just your home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier that, you know, fundamentally, um, building games, it just, it, it, it brings together the all the critical skills that you learn as a kid and when you think about how kids are constantly playing games how they're constantly uh, making new games i think they're perfectly qualified and perfectly capable of um of being involved in the design process and i think again like one of the best uh, methods or um it, it kind of one of the best examples is like the suzuki method i mean um shinichi suzuki was um, you know, very passionate about um, about children and um, and about the relationship between children and parents and the importance of education and the importance of parents and education for their kids. And, you know, I think this is it's an opportunity 
for for schools to to really look at, you know, could you apply like a Suzuki method for game design? I mean, there are a few things I could think of that are more fundamental to being a child than playing a game, than creating a game. And if that is such a fundamental intrinsic aspect of childhood, why can't we harness that? You know, we could really nurture that and harness that because kids already do it. They like it. In fact, they're probably way better at it than most adults. So if we can harness that and incorporate that into, um, into our educational systems, I think that would be incredibly valuable. And like I said, you know, fundamentally what you're teaching kids are, you're teaching kids how to apply all those critical thinking skills that they learn in school and bring it all together for a specific project. And those are life skills that are invaluable. Yeah, for sure. Now, can you tell me a little bit more or maybe some more details about the Suzuki method? Yeah, so it's it's basically um, it, it kind of in a nutshell, it, it's it's a philosophy about um, how how children can learn um, to play music at an early age, and it's about basically it, it kind of touches on a lot of the themes that we already talked about, um, where um, you know encouraging children, not forcing children to um, to learn music through you know just rote practice but to really get the buy-in from kids to want to learn how to play music. Um, there's an emphasis on um, the parent and the child and the parent being actively involved in um, the education, the musical education of children. Um, Suzuki was uh, impressed. He was Japanese and he was impressed at how children so easily learn languages at an early age. There was no obstacle for them to learn all different types of languages or dialects at an early age. And he believed that you can you could apply that same principle to music and you can get kids involved in music education at an early age. And, you know, music pretty com- music is a pretty complex subject as well. And, you know, if you think about how um, complex it can be to learn how to read music and, and understand music theory and to d- develop mastery of an instrument, to me, that's no more complex than designing a game. And, you know, you could really apply the same principles um, to game design. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So as we close things out, Jordana, what would be your advice to maybe some other kids out there that are thinking about designing games or want to design games, want to get their parents to help them design games? What would be your advice to those kids? Um, well, when me and dad, we really like to try new things. So um, what my advice would be, there's nothing to creative nothing too crazy nothing too wacky i mean i think you don't nothing has to be like it doesn't have to make sense i mean the game itself it would be confusing if it didn't exactly make sense but if there there's throw throw burrito you throw burritos that's creative but it's it's really creative and i love that game so i think my advice would be there's nothing too wacky to try you should always try new things and be as creative as you want yeah that's that's really really good advice now david what would be your advice to parents as far as getting their kids involved in game design yeah my advice would be you know just just do it uh i think that kids have you know so much to bring to the table uh they have different perspectives i mean as adults we kind of forget what it's like to be a kid we forget how hard it is to to read for example and to you know, for us, reading is automatic, but for kids, you know, they're, as they grow up, it's, you know, it takes a lot more work. So I would say uh, kids are experts at being kids and get them involved in, in building games. It's a great way to learn, a great way to bond. Um, you know, there's, you know, I could think of, a, you know, a half dozen or a dozen different 
types of things you could do, you know, just to, to make this, um, you know, um, possible in different scenarios, like, you know, whether it's after uh, school clubs or, um, you know, just getting together on a, on a game night and trying to, you know, create a game with a group of people. So I, I would definitely encourage it. I think it's a wonderful um, process of learning and, and a great way to connect. Awesome. Well, we've been talking uh, kind of around it the whole time. Give me like the uh, two minute uh, elevator pitch for your Kickstarter that's live right now. Sure. So just in a nutshell, um, Jujo, it's a uh, engaging toweling area control game for uh, two to five players, ages eight and up. And um, the idea is you place a tile on the board and, um, and each player uh, tries to create runs of two or more pieces that are um, contiguous while breaking up those of your opponents. So you try to essentially uh, foil your opponent's attempts to build large runs. And um, we think it's a lot of fun. So yeah. uh, so go check it out when you get the chance. Yeah, I also think that um, in the game, you, it's sort of you. It's sort of saying that um, the more it's you can't really you don't score any points if you have one person standing alone. I think it's sort of also saying that teamwork is a great way to build something um, that could be a lot better than just like a one one person thing. Like teamwork could help you in a lot of areas. Yeah, it's in, and that's one of the other kind of key things for the game is, you know, in order to win the game, you have to s- stick together and, and be connected. And, and that's that's kind of one of the key principles, I'd say, applies to um, to designing a game with kids. You got to stick together and, and work as a team to develop something that's, that's actually great and viable. Awesome. Well, David, Jordana, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Good luck with continuing to design more games together and with uh, Jujo that's on Kickstarter and everything else you got going on right now. Great. Thanks so much, Gabe. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?